Welcome to episode 39 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is my fellow analyst, Anshul Sag. So let's get started with my first topic. And this week it was announced that the European Union and the European Commission have officially kicked off their investigation of 6G. Well, I know this is the G2 on 5G, but Obviously, I think this is an appropriate topic to talk about. Uh, it's actually the European Institute is SIA-LETI. Um, they announced this, uh, this partnership. It's going to involve 13 uh, organizations initially, Orange, Telecom Italia, and NEC Europe. And there weren't a lot of details here, but you know, I'm sort of reading from the press release you know, ultimately their, um, their aim is to address the design of key hardware and building blocks for the integration of future 6G networks. And I've talked about this in the past, I've written about it. Actually, my alma mater, uh, University of Texas at Austin has a wireless communication group and they actually are, um, they were instrumental with a lot of the pre-5G NR investigations and they're actively investigating 6G. I've actually met with the director, met with him last year, and um, and radar may even you know factor into the deal. So, and obviously we're we're well you know uh, in front of uh, 3GPP and and all of that. Um, Europe again is a little late to the party. You know the uh, the United States has actually kicked off their 6G investigations uh, last year. And uh, I actually attended um, a 6G symposium. And again, the details are fuzzy. We definitely need to be, you know, you know, focused on 6G and, and figuring out what that next, you know, standard will be. But hey, we're still in the midst of, you know, rolling out 5G. So, what are your thoughts? It's interesting because the thing is, is that I agree with you. We're very much still in the early throes of 5G, and I think a lot of the 6G talk is mostly political mm -hmm. um like 3gpp for example has just begun work on release 18 so i don't really think we're going to have any tangible 6g anything for at least another five to six years mm -hmm. in terms of just understanding what we want to be part of the standard yeah. Um, you know, there is some preliminary research going on in terahertz um, technologies and things like that. Yeah. But um, I think a lot of those technologies are very early and I'm not really sure they're going to be utilized that much. And frankly, we already know that millimeter wave is a, is a great challenge. And terahertz is magnitudes more difficult and right. more computationally expensive. So yeah. while I do think terahertz is a possibility, I don't think it's uh, uh, you know going to be necessarily required or be you know the foundation of 6G. I think 6G yeah. is much more going to be about combining uh, cellular networks with AI, um, and to me that makes way more sense than trying to you know adopt yet another new um, band of spectrum and then having to you know introduce new antennas and new modules and, and all kinds of new hardware to make it work again. Um, I don't think the industry wants to do that again. So I have a feeling that we're gonna probably just refine um, how we use existing bands and add AI to the, you know, the, the continuum of, of communications to make it faster and more intelligent. 
Yeah, no, it makes sense to be talking about it. Um, I think it's to your point, it's water cooler talk right now. I have, I have read about the terahertz investigations as well. And you and I have talked about the challenges with millimeter wave and the need for densification and that sort of thing. So it'll be interesting. We'll keep tabs on this and as things develop. Uh, but I agree with you. This is uh, the horizon is several years out. So, you know, again, not a lot of detail in this announcement, but yeah. uh, at least Europe is stepping up to the plate. So we'll see. I feel like that's part of what it is, right? There's, there's not much detail because there can't be like, what would they say? Right. Yeah. Other than it's under investigation. So cool. Well, let's move to your first topic this week. And you want to talk about Qualcomm. And there are some announcements on um, some modems and some fixed wireless access support. Yeah, so part of the reason why I ran off screen earlier was to uh, acquire this little tchotchke. Uh, this <laughs> is the uh, new Qualcomm Snapdragon X65 modem to RF platform. Mm -hmm. um, it's a 3GPP release 16 5G multi-mode modem capable of both sub six and millimeter wave um, and also carrier aggregation between those bands. Um, and they sent us, or sent me, uh, one of those modems right here, as you can see. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, it does actually have a peak capability of reaching up to 10 gigabits per second. Holy uh, moly. And it's also a four nanometer chip, the first one of any kind. I don't think there's anything out there that's four nanometer today. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just interesting because they, this, is their, this is the new standard for top tier 5G performance. Uh, and it adds another product to the lineup, which is the X62, which is only capable of about 4.4 gigabits per second. So I think the uh, X62 is going to be very popular in low cost to medium range devices where, you know, peak 10 gigabits is not necessary. Um, also, the X65 and X62 a lot, add a lot of IoT capabilities through uh, adopting uh, 3GPP re release 16 features, uh, which makes it you know compatible with this the current rollout of 5G and future. Mm -hmm. uh, most networks are you know still probably release 15 or some are probably going to be released 16 soon. But um, what's interesting is they also released new millimeter wave modules, uh, which include the QTM 440. QTM545 and the QTM547. And those are very close in number to each other because they're slightly different in that the 545 is a mobile part for millimeter wave and the 547 is a fixed wireless part for millimeter okay. wave. Okay. And actually the QTM547 with an X65 is going to be used for their new second generation fixed wireless 5G platform. Mm -hmm. So Lots of announcements came out of Qualcomm, very rapid fire, uh, lots of you know, high speed improvements, lots of new features. Uh, I expect that from what I saw, Qualcomm said they're gonna have the X65 commercially available in devices by the end of the year, which is actually before uh, MediaTek's M80, which they announced earlier, maybe a few weeks ago, and uh, that M80 will be sampling at the end of the year or around the end of the year. Mm -hmm. They said later this year, but 
probably end of this year. And most likely will be in devices next year. So Qualcomm will be the first ones out with the 3GPP release 6T modem, uh, probably the first four nanometer and the first 10 gigabit uh, 5G modem. Yeah, I mean, Qualcomm continues to set the bar. Um, you know, fixed wireless access, I think, is going to be um, it's going to be big with respect to 5G. And, you know, I expect that, you know, all of the, you know, the, the, the carriers, you know, around the world are, you know, are considering it, you know, tier one, tier two, you know, whatnot. So um, and certainly, you know, fixed wireless access for, you know, those areas that are underserved by fiber. Um, you know, if you look at rural... Yeah, parts of, you know, not only the U.S., but, you know, um, other parts of the world um, could be a real stopgap. So, um, you know, Qualcomm, again, is continuing to drive that 5G ecosystem. It's quite impressive. So let's move to my second topic this week. I want to talk about Spirant Communications. And if you're not familiar with Spirant, they are a test and measurement company. And so they help operators uh, design and optimize uh, the deployment of networks. And they've been doing this for quite some time certainly within the LTE world and now with 5G. And they published a report this week um, around some of their key insights on 5G. And I would encourage our viewers and listeners to hit the Spirant website. It's S-P-I-R-E-N-T. And um, some of the topics they talk about are, um, what are some of the uh, you know, challenges that service providers and uh, vendors are facing over the next year to year and a half? Um, they talk about standalone 5G and open RAN. They talk about fixed wireless access. We were just talking about that, and uh, and where they believe millimeter wave is really going to make a make a big impact. So, um, totally encourage you to do that. Um, I spent time with Spirant in the past. Um, they've got you know amazing capabilities, and I you know I sort of applaud them. You know this wasn't a trivial exercise as I read through the report. And it's a great education piece for anyone that wants to get kind of ramped up on the ins and outs of 5G. What do you think? I haven't had a chance to read it. So I'm also going to get read it this weekend uh, and take a look at it and see, because I haven't had a chance to take a look at it. But um, I've seen their stuff before. So it's it'll be interesting to see what they think uh, on a whole host of topics, which is funny because my next topic is also a report. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Great segue. So GSA, right? And um, they're measuring um, the live production 5G networks that are out there. Yeah, so um, as you said, GSA, I, I like a lot of their reports. They're, they're very quantitative. Um, they basically said that there are 65 operators in the world today in 61 countries operating commercial 5G networks. Um, and it's really interesting because, first of all, it's a lot of 5G networks, mm -hmm. basically in the first year, because essentially this is a report of 2020 at this point, mm -hmm. since we're still at the beginning of February. And um, they even go over some LTE features and kind of talk about how you know there's 421 operators that have LTE fixed wireless access, right? So there's... And there's 806 operators in the world with LTE networks. So even though we are at 65, um, there is still quite a long way um, for it to be operational. And actually, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm reading, I'm, I think I may have misre misread the, uh, um, the report because it's actually 65 operators 
are investing in standalone and 144 operators in 61 countries have um, 5G networks, which makes way more sense. Yeah. Uh, the numbers were a little askew. So yeah, 144 operators in 61 countries have 5G today. Yeah. Um, and 65 of those operators are investing in standalone, which means yeah. that we're, we're, we're making progress. Um, but I think a, a big step forward will be um, to have standalone everywhere, um, not not rely on NSA to deliver 5G because it's basically an enhanced LTE network at that point. Right. Yeah. You know, and honestly, you know, we've talked about, you know, in the past, you know, some, you know, mis, you know, expectations with respect to 5G, sort of the, the apex of the hype. But, you know, truly, you know, again, this is a journey, not a light switch. NSA will deliver the true promise of 5G with that ultra low latency and that, that ultra fast throughput. And uh, you just can't do that on a non-standalone network. So uh, it is encouraging to see the momentum. We've talked about T-Mobile in the US as sort of being first there, um, but this report you know, sort of validates that many other operators around the globe are, are on that SA path and that is very promising. So. We'll stay tuned to that and report back as things develop. Let me jump into my third and final topic this week. I want to talk about Nokia. I talked about them last week and uh, their earnings, uh, but they continue to push up and ran. Uh, and now it's in Brazil. And this is sort of near and dear to my heart because my father was actually born in Brazil. I have family there. And Brazil is a tough market. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of protectionist uh, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it is... You know, it's a diverse economy where you have economic prosperity um, centralized in a few areas like Rio and Sao Paulo. Um, you have, you know, a, a lot of the same challenges that we have in the U.S. with rural and, and, and that sort of thing. And so OpenRAN has the potential to really be disruptive and allow these operators uh, to quickly deploy 5G. And the benefits can be, you know, phenomenal. And what I like about this announcement is that it's very application focused. So I'm, I'm looking at the, the press release and um, the applications are, they're, they're absolutely focused on uh, mobile access, uh, edge computing, to supercharge these, uh, the, these use cases, but fixed wireless access, no surprise, we were talking about that earlier, smart city, IOT for industry 4.0, as well as critical networks for first responders and those sort of things. So, um, Again, you know, when you look at the incumbent traditional infrastructure providers in cellular, um, certainly Nokia and Samsung have been the most adamant about, um, about driving open RAN. You know, when you look at Ericsson, when you look at uh, Huawei, they've been less enthusiastic about it. I've written about it, I've talked about it. Um, it definitely has its pros and its cons. You know, one of the trade-offs is that you know, there's a higher degree of complexity, you have new players, and it's not necessarily optimized for performance. But it sounds like with this announcement that that Nokia and the operator involved is, uh, well, it's, uh, they're partnering with Brazil's telecommunications uh, R&D center. So that's obviously tied to the government. Um, what they're doing is they're, they're looking at Open RAN, but they're also looking at how they can apply Open RAN and, and optimize it to serve these use cases that I just spoke to. So do you have any additional thoughts there? Yeah, I think, you know, there are certain markets that will benefit from stuff like Open RAN as a way to more rapidly and cost effectively 
roll out their networks. Mm -hmm. I find that countries where um, the price of service is lower and expectations and incomes are lower, yeah. I think those are the countries that are ripe for open RAN because they're going to need 5G because of the scale, but they're not going to be able to afford to roll out as much infrastructure uh, as they would have traditionally needed to. So I do think open RAN is a good opportunity for countries like Brazil and India. And I think those are going to be great opportunities for both consumers and enterprise. And hopefully it pans out uh, fairly soon because I think there's, there's a need for faster connectivity uh, in countries like Brazil where people are still living off of a cell phone. Uh, yeah. And it's not, it's just not great in terms of what kinds of speeds they're getting because there's so many people using the cell networks at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's a very agrarian economy as well. You know, the Amazon region and, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, forestry and, you know, um, and, you know, another, you know, kind of agriculture, you know, you know, type mm -hmm. operations there can, that can benefit from connectivity. And a lot of these areas are very underserved. And in fact, um, I will mention, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing my first book and I will be spending time with Nokia, hopefully as COVID starts lifting in the second half of this year, I'm spending time with Nokia in the Amazonian region to understand, you know, what they are doing to help, you know, sort of drive and proliferate this. So hope to have, share, yeah, yeah, get all my shots and hope to share more information as that kind of pans out. But let's move to your third and final topic this week. And um, you want to talk about, there, there are a couple of, you know, high level executives, one, a former CEO of Google that weighed in on the C-band auction. You and I have weighed in on it as well, but um, what were the results of, uh, of what you learned? Well, they echoed our uh, our sentiments. Um, so Eric Schmidt, former chairman or former executive chairman and CEO of Google, as well as um, I'm going to butcher this, uh, Ed <laughs> Chollerton, who's a uh, sales executive at Nokia for the U.S. and Canada region, uh, both have basically expressed that. Uh, in different ways that they believe that the C-band auction and the amount of money that was spent to make it happen is going to impede the operator's ability to roll out the spectrum they paid for sure. because they have, you know, blown their, their, their piggy bank on the spectrum without saving any of it for the infrastructure. So, well, AT&T AT uh, had to take out a loan, a $15 billion loan to pay for its Spectrum assets that it acquired. Via yeah, demand, right? I okay. saw that. And I think there are going to be more loans coming. Um, I think these companies, considering the current state of um, interest rates, it's in their best interest to take out loans to pay for this. For sure. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, debt is still debt. And uh, I just think that after everything that happened, with the, you know, the acquisitions of DirecTV and, you know, Verizon's media ambitions, they're not necessarily flush with cash anymore. Yeah. Um, so I think this could not have come at a worse time for them mm -hmm. because now they don't have, you know, superfluous assets to um, spend. And as a result, I think it's going to slow down the rollout of Verizon and AT&T's 5G networks, mm -hmm. which is bad because T-Mobile already has like a year head start on them. Mm -hmm. And I think it might even end up being a two-year head start once as a whole is said and done. Yeah, you know, um, 
we've talked about this. In fact, um, I'll be I'll be writing a piece uh, for RCR Wireless in the coming weeks around my insights into C-band. But uh, yeah, you know, you got to balance the government coffers with you know the ability for these operators to to roll out these networks. And you know, choice is a good thing, right? We don't necessarily want one operator, for example, in the United States uh, to be fully deployed. Uh, because that limits choice, right? And then, you know, typically that also can put pressure on price. I don't expect T-Mobile will do that. They, they've demonstrated that they've been very disruptive and delivering high value for their subscribers. But it's better when, you know, the, the market is buoyed and, you know, and, and, you know, and there's a more of a level playing field there. And I, I agree with you. And, and we've talked about this as well. These, these mid-band assets that came out of this auction, it's upper mid-band. And it's, you know, it's not a slam dunk. I mean, it requires densification, you know, it's, it's, it's complicated. So, yeah, so, you know, we'll, you know, it's, it's good to see that, you know, great minds think alike and, you know, a couple of, you know, at least one billionaire uh, agrees with, uh, with our, uh, with our concerns there as well. But hey, Angela, it's another great podcast this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to reach out to us and provide specific insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Willtown Tech and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.